I'm excited. This is a good, good time to be here. This is a good time to be here. And here on Sunday mornings, as I shared last week, um, we've been praying about like what is the word uh, for this community, for this church, specifically in 2020 and, and in all areas, whether it was me personally, whether it was the church or whether it was our broader community in our city, the word that I, that I just heard God lay uh, on our hearts is cling tightly to Jesus. If you've never clung tightly to Jesus in your entire life, this is a great time to be here. If you're a seasoned saint and you've been clinging on for so long that your grip is starting to get a little weak and you're starting to trail behind just a little bit and you can start to feel the distance between you and the Savior of the world, this is a good time to be here. I think when we talk about clinging tightly to Jesus, it's, it's appropriate uh, to look at the Apostle Peter. I would argue that the Apostle Peter was one of three that were like as close, followed as closely to Jesus as you could, and even he had ups and downs while desperately trying to keep up with this holy roller. So from now until Easter, we're going to go through the life of the Apostle Peter as Scripture tells, and we're going to go through it in three parts. The part that we kicked off last week that we'll be continuing this week is what I would call awakening. Church, say awakening. 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 It's the story uh, that we started last week of how Jesus met Peter. They They were fishing On the docks, and last week we talked about this phrase that Jesus throws out there. He says, Come follow me. We focused on the first part of the phrase that he that he throws out there, saying, Come follow me. Jesus' invitation to Simon back then is the same as it is to us right now. Come follow me, and I'll take you where you need to go. I know what you're looking for. I've seen what's going on. I know what you've been through. I know what it is, and I know where you need to go. Come follow me. Follow closely to me. Cling tightly to the hem of my robe, Uh and I will take you where you need to go. This week, I want to look at the second half of that invitation. Jesus says, come follow me, and I will make you what? Oh, like two people educated in their word in here. Come on. Come follow me. And what? That's right. That's right. This week, we're going to look at the expanded edition of what we read last week. Last week, we were in the Gospel of Matthew. We were specifically in the fourth chapter. This week, I want us to go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke, as we said last week, provides us with the expanded edition of how Jesus met Peter. Sounds like a rom-com, but it's not. It's just Luke chapter 5. So if you have your physical Bibles with you, let me encourage you to go to the Gospel of Luke. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book of the New Testament. You'll find the fifth chapter indicated by the big number five in your Bible. And we're going to go ahead and start right at the beginning, right at verse one. So you don't even need to worry about finding a little number. It's already right there for you. This is Luke chapter five, and we're going to read verses one through 11. Scripture says this. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. They were done for the day. They ain't catch not nothing, not one thing. So stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who we will come to know as Peter, but here he's called Simon, Simon, which is the boat's owner, he says, push it, it, push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat, Jesus did, and taught the crowds from there. 
When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now I want you to take this boat out where it's even deeper, and I want you to let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, man, we've been working all night. We've been at this all night. We've been throwing, we've been throwing, we've been throwing our nets, and we didn't catch a single thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. This time, this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their, their, their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish. They were on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were also amazed. Here it is. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. On October 23rd, 2003. A young music producer was, was leaving a recording studio about 3 a.m., having just wrapped up a recording session with the Black Eyed Peas. While he was driving, a car cut him off, causing him to swerve into oncoming traffic and experiencing a nearly fatal head-on collision. He was rushed to Cedar sinai Medical Center, the same hospital where Biggie Smalls died, and miraculously, he survived the crash. But he had to undergo serious facial reconstructive surgery. Two weeks later, he went back to a recording studio with his jaw still wired shut and a Shaka Khan melody stuck in his head. This time, however, he would be on the other side of the glass. His executives had, had been telling him that he's not allowed to record or produce his own music. You're not allowed to, to be on that side of the booth. They told him that his place was on this side of the glass with a computer and a mixer. But given his recent life-changing encounter, he felt that God must have a different plan. And the time to begin following that different plan is right now. So he took to a familiar room, a room he had been in a recording studio many, many times. And he took a sample, a Shaka Khan song, a, a melody that was so familiar to him, his family, and his friends. He took old, an old place, and he took an old song, and he did something new with it. A new twist on an old favorite provided a catchy melody. And his passionate lyrics spit through his wired shut jaw, evoked an emotional response from anyone who listened at what was being said. There was no arguing that there was something different about this track. There was something different about this man, and the people needed to hear it. And thus was born the first platinum hip of or first platinum hit of hip-hop artist Kanye West called Through the Wire. And the world of hip-hop, for anyone who's a fan, has never been the same. 
when Simon Peter leaves his nets after a long night of fishing, something he's done many, many times. His life crashes head on with a force that's so powerful, it's going to go on to change the entire world. And this encounter invites Simon Peter to start a new path, to start something that he had been told he's not allowed to do. Jesus' invitation of come and you will now fish for people is a sample of something old, something familiar, something, something original from Peter's life. And Jesus sets it to a catchy hook. He says, you're going to fish. See what I did there? For people. He sets it to a catchy hook that would direct Peter's life work. And as this ministry continued, it would unfold a masterpiece, evoking a response from all who dared open themselves up to it. Jesus, the original sampler. What's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't say, hey, fishermen. Stop what you're doing and listen to my lecture. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say, hey, fishermen, open this book and read this tablet. Oh, your education stopped when you were 13? Figure it out. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say, hey, fishermen, come follow me and I'll make you a teacher. I'll make you a religious leader. I'll make you an author. He doesn't say any of that, although all of those things would go on to be true. Jesus says, I see you like to fish. I see you like to fish. Let's take this boat out a little deeper. I see you've been doing the same thing over and over. I see you're, you're an old hand at this. I see you know all the tricks and the tactics. I see you know all the ways to, to throw a net. I saw, I saw you out there. I saw you cleaning your net. Only the most skilled and practiced fishermen would know that, that you need clean nets to start the next day. I know you've been doing this for a minute. Why don't you take this boat out a little deeper and I want you to throw your nets one more time. Why don't you let me show you what it's like? I know you know what it's like to fish, but why don't you let me show you what it's like to fish under my authority? I know you know what it's like to fish over the authority of supply and demand. But do you know what it's like to fish under my authority? Why don't you throw these nets one more time with me in the boat? What happens when Simon Peter throws his nets with Jesus in the boat? He says, I will now teach you. I recognize you know how to fish for fish. You've been making a living. You've been feeding your wife, your kids, your mother-in-law. I know you've been taking care of your family. I met them just the chapter before. Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people now. Jesus doesn't plan to conform us to these identical Christian robots. There's not like a technical, like really specific look or a formula to, to, to like what a Christian is supposed to conform to like interpersonally or behaviorally. Like there's definitely like a scriptural, spiritual standard. But as far as like what you're supposed to do is, uni is as unique as the person sitting next to you. Jesus takes something that is old and familiar to us. He wants to use the ways our stories and our burdens and our talents and our passions have all formed our lives. Jesus wants to have a hold of those things. 
Jesus says, I know you know what those things are like, but why don't you come over here and experience what those things are like with me in the boat? Jesus wants to have a hold of our vocation. And let me just stop real quick. I know a lot of times when I say the word vocation, a lot of people are turned off. A lot of people are turned off because you've struggled and you can't find a job. Or a lot of people are turned off because, because they stay at home with their kids. And so, and so they think that, that, that I'm about to say you need to go get a job or that that makes you less. Or, or you're a student, you haven't gotten into your field yet. And so you don't think this applies to you. All I mean by your vocation is whatever it is that you spend the majority of your time doing. It's whatever your passion is. It's whatever your occupation might be. So for the majority, for, for the duration of our time together, I would prefer that when I say vocation, you think of what you're passionate about. You think of what your occupation is. You think about whatever it is that you spend the most of your time doing. If that's studying, you're a student. If that's, if that, if that's caretaking, you're a caretaker. Or if that's going to an office and sitting in a cubicle from nine to five, Lord, help you and be with you. But that's your occupation occupation. Whatever your vocation is, Jesus wants to have a hold of it. And look at what happens when we let Jesus get a hold of our vocation. Jesus takes a sample. He takes a sample and he puts it to a much larger work that's being developed. He says, that's just one little part of what I'm doing. You think it's the whole thing, but I'm going to show you how it's one part of what I'm doing. And when it's one part of what I'm doing, you get to be a part of a masterpiece. When we let Jesus get a hold of our vocation, kingdom success is inevitable. A lot of us are striving and striving and striving for success, whatever the world has told us that that means. But when Jesus says, I'm in the boat, when Jesus has a hold of your vocation, when Jesus has a hold of whatever it is you spend most of your time doing, kingdom success is inevitable. Do you see your vocation that way? Do you see your vocation as a tool? Do you see it as a tool? And does Jesus have a hold of that tool? Our vocation, the thought that I want to challenge right now is that our vocation is not the whole work. That's super common, right? We say, I'm going, we get up in the morning, I'm going to work. I'm going to work. This is my job. This is what I do. For a lot of us, it adapts into who we are. Our vocation, though, is not the whole work, but there's a lot of us who are living that way. There's a lot of us that our vocation is driving our whole life. There's a lot of us that our vocation determines when we eat. You only can eat for 30 minutes. There's a lot of us that our vocation is determining when we sleep or how much or how little we sleep. There's a lot of us that our vocation is determining when and where we move, quite literally when and where we breathe. There's a lot of us, our vocation is just so, is controlling the majority of our lives. There's a lot of us out here trying to climb this vocational ladder. I just got to grind. I just got to get to this one point. Because if I can get to this one point, then, then maybe I can look back at some of this other stuff that Jesus is saying. Or, or, or if I get to this one point, then my family's going to be comfortable enough so where I, got, I don't got to worry about them. They have their, their, what, what they need, and we can go do what I want to do over here. A lot of us are out here striving to do, to do, to do whatever it is that, that, that we want to reach in our, in our vocation. And in doing so, we're sacrificing relationships. We're 
We're sacrificing time spent with family. We're sacrificing so many other things to make it happen or to get to wherever we want to be in our vocation. But God is, is, is trying to get in the boat and show you that your vocation is one small part of what he's doing. It's one sample, if you will. Now, having a vocation, a passion, or a field of interest is not sinful. God designed you to have that. It's more about what you choose to do with it because God wants it. God wants that part of your life. God wants to use it as a part of a bigger masterpiece he's working out. God sees it as something that might be familiar to a lot of folks. But he, sa- he, sa- he says, what's on that job description, what you're used to seeing from your vocation, I'm going to do something a little different with it. I'm going to take something old. I'm going to take something that's familiar to a lot of folks. I'm going to take something that you think you know what it is. And when you give me control, I'm going to do something new with it that you can't even believe. God wants that part of your life. You don't believe me? Look back to the text. Look at what happens in verse 7. What happens in verse 7? This is, this is as the notes are, bre- are the, the, the nets are breaking because of how many fish are in there. It says, it says, a shout for help brought their partners, talking about their business partners, in the other boat. They had to send for backups. There wasn't just one boat out there no more. Now, 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 now there was two. And soon, both boats, not just the one Jesus was specifically in, but both boats then were sinking. And then look at verse 10, his partners, his business partners, their names are James and John. They were also amazed. So then in verse 11, as they landed, they, plural, the business partners and Simon Peter, left everything and followed Jesus. The focus of this text leads us to believe that this is an interaction between Simon and Jesus. But Jesus created a pretty dope hook. He created a pretty dope hook. He said, he, he said Simon, come here. I'm going to talk to you. But watch, watch what I do with this. I'm going to come on your boat. We're going we're to go. You, you like fishing, right? We're going to go fishing. But watch what I do with fishing. What he did with fishing was so attractive. This hook was so, was so amazing. It was so intoxicating that his business partners, we look at James and John, we're like, oh, look, see, look, they were always besties. No, 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 you didn't catch it. They were business partners. Their relationship was work-related. I own this boat over here, you own this boat over here, and we got some sort of corporate agreement, business agreement between us. They were business associates. But what he did with this hook was so amazing that even the business partners were like, well, hold on, look at that over there. You don't think God wants a hold of your vocation? There were so many fish The way Jesus did this, there were so many fish that one boat couldn't take it. The blessing, the abundance was so heavy in one boat that it beckoned the help of another. The abundance was so significant to to the one boat where Jesus was that other boats were drawn to it. What Jesus was doing in one boat on the job was so amazing. 
that other people on the job couldn't help but go be like, well, I got to go see. It's amazing. And then at the end of this, what they didn't say was, I'm so happy for my business partner. He's just doing so good. He'd been on this little Jesus kick for a minute, and he's just been turning so much around. I'm happy for them. Good for him. They said, nah, that's my business partner, which means we split stuff. We split profits. I want some of that too. And they go get it for themselves. They follow Jesus too. Jesus does it in such a public fashion that it draws attention. It's so miraculous. Even the business partners had to join in on the change. He provided a dope hook. He says, I'm going to teach you to fish for people. You think I'm out here catching fish. But Simon, look at that other boat coming in here. Look at all the people I just caught. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your place of employment, your place of study, your place of focus, your place of passion. Don't tell me that Jesus, that Jesus can't be present or can't, or can't work in that particular environment because of all kinds of personal or legal reasons. Jesus wants to use your vocation as a tool. And he is faithful to, to, take, to take an old thing. And do something new with it to create a dope hook to get the people around you. See, God is infinitely more creative than we are. The quicker we accept that, the better off we'll be. God is infinitely more creative than we are. And he has designed your life. He's designed your skill. He's designed the open job, that, the, the open doors, that favor you think you have with your boss. He's designed those things so that he can have influence in those areas, not you. He designed those things so that he can be up high and get the glory and, get, and, and start catching people. He did those things on purpose. He has designed your life in a way to be in proximity with particular people in a particular season. That's on purpose. It's the last thing I want to point out. When he has them hooked then, when he's already got them, when he's pulling them in, he says to fishermen, now I got your attention. Now I know you see me. Watch what I do next. I'm going to teach you how to fish. You're a fisherman. I can use that. Despite what the rest of the people say, right? Despite what society says. Society said you're not worthy enough of continuing education, so you need to go down to the docks and work. Society said you ain't good at a whole lot of other things, so you need to try and go find work on the shore. Society said, I was your teacher, and you ain't no doctor. You're going to go ahead and have to, have to go get some nets. Jesus says you're a fisherman. And while other people devalue that, while other people despise that, while other people talk down to you about what it is that you're passionate about or what it is that you're good at, I'm telling you, I can use that. He says, I can, I can use that and watch how I use this. You're used to catching people, but Jesus, or you're used to catching fish, but Jesus says, now you're going to catch people. The language that he uses right there when he says, when he, when he, he more literally says, you shall be catching people. 
follow me and you shall be catching not fish, you shall be catching people. The, 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 the word play there is so interesting to me. The, the, the alternative definition of the word and the phrase that he uses there is that you shall be capturing alive. Another, another definition is, is you shall be sparing life. Because the, the words to catch, to capture alive, and to spare a life are all interchangeable. He says, come follow me, and you will be sparing a life. Take your nets. Leave them right there. I'm going to take what I've already designed you to do, and you're going to spare some lives. This phrasing, this phrasing brings us historically Again, another familiar track, if you will. It brings us historically back to Joshua chapter 2. In Joshua chapter 2, God sends a couple of spies into the city of Jericho, a city that he's about to take down. And while these spies are in Jericho, they meet up with a woman named Rahab, and Rahab is caught up in some things. She's caught up in this thing called prostitution, and, 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 and basically when they, when they meet each other, they come to realize who Rahab is, and they come to realize that Rahab doesn't have a whole lot of freedoms for herself. See, the decisions that she made and the way that her life has gone and the situation that she's found herself in and at times has deliberately gotten herself in have, have, have revoked some of her freedoms. Rahab is no longer free. As a matter of fact, there's a whole lot of people who now have decision-making power and authority over Rahab's life. Rahab actually has very little ability to make her own decisions anymore. And so when she meets the two spies, she says, if, you, if, I, if I agree to help you, will you, phrasing, spare my life? If I help you, will you set me free? If I invite this presence of the God you say you represent into my life, will you set me free? Rahab, spoiler alert, is spared from the destruction of Jericho. But isn't it just like God to do one better than what we expect him to do? She's not only set free. She's not only liberated from the sin that had kept her in quite literal bondage. She's not only set free, but she's incorporated into the family of God. She's incorporated into the promise. And that promise says, I don't have those things for you anymore. I have something better. It's over here. We're going towards this now. You've been lost. You've been enslaved. You've been not very treasured. I've got something else for you over here. She's incorporated into the family of God. Jesus, in this instance, it might look like he's teaching. It might look like he's fishing. It might look like he's recruiting. But Jesus is on a mission to free people from the destruction of this world. Jesus is telling Simon Peter, you're going with me. And you too will free people from the destruction of this world. I don't know how y'all feel when you watch the news, <clears throat> but the destruction of this world 
Jesus says, my mission is to free people from the destruction of this world. There are people who are so enslaved by the things being talked about on the news. There are people who are so enslaved by these, by these imperialistic and oppressive leaders. There are people who are so enslaved by what's happening in the world. And Jesus says, I'm sending you on a mission to free people from that. Yeah, the promise that, that, that is to come, the, 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 the promise that is before us in heaven is way better than this, but you can be freed now. We are being sent on a mission now to free people from the destruction of this world. One of my favorite movies to watch with my kids is Aladdin. I always try to manipulate the situation and get them to watch Aladdin because that was my favorite growing up. And uh, essentially in Aladdin, if you haven't seen it, Aladdin, long story short, comes across uh, this genie. And when, he, and, and when he meets a genie, this genie uh, uh, grants him three wishes. But as Aladdin gets to know the genie, he learns that the genie is a slave to this magical lamp. And Aladdin, being pure in heart mostly, says, says well, well <laughs> I mean, you know, it is what it is. We're all falling. It's fine. Listen. Aladdin says, that's not right. You shouldn't be enslaved to a lamp. You shouldn't be enslaved to other people. You should be free. As a matter of fact, I'm going to use my third wish to set you free. And so they got a great relationship because he promises to set the genie free. But then what happens, right? Aladdin gets a little caught up. He gets a little caught up in trying to keep up with this lifestyle that he's told he's supposed to live. He's told he's supposed to be a prince, so he gets all caught up in that. He gets all caught up on trying to climb from street rap to prince and from prince to sultan. He gets a little caught up in trying to make that climb. And then he gets a little caught up in trying to win the affections of this little honey over here. And then he gets a little caught up. We're trying to win the approval of an entire kingdom, trying to win the approval of people. And Aladdin gets a little caught up, and he looks at the genie and eventually says, look, man. I can't set you free no more because actually, like, I need a thing or two, and I got to keep up with this life, and this life is hard, and so, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not be able to set you free. Wow. He becomes more concerned with keeping up with a particular look or who other people tell him he should be or winning the affections and the approval of others that he momentarily takes back his promise to the genie. Sometimes we can get so caught up in this lifestyle of keeping up with a particular look. We can get so caught up with keeping up with others in our field. We can get so caught up with continuously winning the approval of others that we forget that this is the very lifestyle that made us prisoners in the first place. Jesus came to set us free from those things. And so now we should be compelled to join his mission of setting other people free. We are sent on a mission to free people from the destruction of this world. We cannot lose sight of that. Are you allowing God to use every area of your life for that work? Are you allowing God to have a hold of every area of your life? To work it into a bigger story, a bigger masterpiece, a masterpiece of reconciliation that he is trying to work out. <clears throat> took a lot of hills and valleys to get there. It took a lot of hills and valleys to get there, but, but I am thankful that today it at least appear, appears as if Kanye's hooks and samples are quite different than they used to be. 
It appears as if he has finally allowed God control over the talents that God gave him in the first place. Now, hear me out. If you don't hear anything else I say, I need you to hear this part because people are going to be so quick to be the only thing they take out of this message is what I say about Kanye. Y'all laughing because it's you. I'm just saying. They're going to be so quick to only take that out of this message, or they're going to be so quick to find me or passive-aggressively Facebook later and tell me passive-aggressively all the reasons Kanye is not really saved. And blah, 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 blah. You, y'all, y'all so quick to jump to that. But rather than try to run and disprove the genuine transformation of another, instead... Instead, I need you to do this. I want you to think of how you spend most of your time. How do you spend most of your time? Come, come, come holler at me about your talents and your passions. And do you know that God wants to use that area of your life. Do you know that? Think of it right now. How do you spend most of your time? What are you talented at? What are you gifted at? What are the passions? What like makes your heart beat faster as soon as you see it? Do you know that God wants a hold of that, that part of your life? Let me ask a follow-up question if I may. Have you let him? Because an encounter with Jesus is not just on Sunday morning. Amen. And our mission is not to get people here. Amen. <laughs> Go to God and ask, man, what, what sample yes. are you using out of my life? What hook are you trying to create with my life? Jesus. What do you want to do? And how can, use every, how can you use every area yeah. of my life?